joy to have you here this morning. I want to thank the worship team for their um, leading us this morning in worshiping our Lord and Savior. This is a special time of the year, um, being today Palm Sunday, and then next week is uh, Easter, and then Friday is Good Friday. So there's a lot this week to be mindful of as we uh, celebrate Christ. We celebrate what He has accomplished for us and what He has accomplished to uh, bring glory to God. Before we get into this morning's uh, sermon, I just want to ask for prayer for this week for our family. We have an exciting week ahead of us. Um, our daughter gets married on Saturday, and so Alyssa is getting going to get married to Jefferson on Saturday, and we are excited about that. And uh, I, get, I get the privilege of being the dad and, Lord willing, the one who is performing the ceremony. And as, as we learned yesterday out at the grounds putting things together, we need to make sure we have a backup plan in place because um, things... Um, guys hear all I just said? Um, so it's going to be a fun week, and, and we have a lot of things going on in our family, and we just, we appreciate your prayers, and uh, I encourage you, next Sunday is Easter, and I want to encourage you to invite somebody to come with you, your neighbor, a co-worker, a friend, just somebody that maybe doesn't go to church. Easter is one of those days in the year that people who don't normally attend services will come. And we'll have a special Easter uh, sermon and service. I'm sure the worship team is planning something unique and special. They do it every year. It's always, um, every week is good, but it seems like Easter is always above and beyond. And so uh, next week is going to be a special week. If you make it a point to be here, but also bring somebody that you just want them to hear the gospel and uh, want them to be blessed and uh, maybe couldn't get them to come to church on a normal uh, Sunday throughout the year, this is a Sunday that they might come. And let's fill this, let's fill this alley up next Sunday and um, pray that it'll be nice weather, which it's supposed to be, and all things will come together for the glory of our Lord. This week, I'd like to continue in our series that we're in, um, and I don't, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke 13. I don't really have a, a centralized text this morning. This is, for those of you who are, are new here, um, this may be your first Sunday. This is not normal. I normally will just walk us through a text. Um, last week I started a series entitled, I Don't Think It Means What You Think It Means. And we're going to be in this series for a few weeks. And the goal of this series is just to, to maybe recapture some biblical terms and what they mean. Uh, we looked at grace last week and how grace in many ways has lost its true biblical meaning and has adopted a lot of uh, just fleshly, uh, selfish meanings. And um, just to recapture the idea of grace is, is helpful for us to understand the gospel, to understand even why we're, why we're a part of God's family. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to continue that series this week. And again, as I mentioned earlier, next week will be completely uh, different. We'll move away from that and we'll look at the resurrection of Christ and, and what it means to us. And, uh, and what it means to us today, oftentimes we look at the resurrection of Christ as being something that has eternal ramifications, 
but not immediate ramifications, not that it, it impacts our life like right now. And that's what I want to press next week a little bit is how the, how the resurrection impacts us today. And so I think it'll be a blessing to you if you'll come and be a part of that. This morning I'm going to talk about the, the um, doctrine or the term repentance. And uh, repentance is a term that is really a hot topic in our culture today, especially amongst evangelicals, um, because it has many different meanings and there's, there's challenges to it and um, confusion about it. I'm praying that this is not going to be the whole morning that we have to deal with this. So, so pray with me that all the motorcycles pick a different road to go down for the remainder of this morning. Is this a motorcycle week? Blessing of the bikes. I think the blessing is down. Let's, all right, well, we'll bless the bikes too as they go by. Um, so repentance, just a few things to think about when you think about repentance. The uh, doctrine of repentance or the term repentance. Uh, many are confused about it, con- concerned about it. Some, some religions are concerned about it. Some re- religions just want to kind of throw it out altogether because they, they, they see some perhaps dangers to it. So just a few of those things to consider. Um, some view repentance as an un- unimportant doctrine to the gospel. In other, in other words, it's not necessary to the gospel, and therefore we don't really need to talk about it. Um, so they see it as unimportant. Another group would see it as unnecessary, so they don't think about including it. Other groups see it as a work. Repentance is a work, and therefore it's an obstacle to grace. And we know last week, based in, in Romans, that uh, if something is a work, it cannot be of grace. Um, they, they are, they, they con, they're, 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 they're contrasting. So if it's, if it's a work, it can't be of grace. And so repentance in their minds is a work. And, and I would not disagree with them on that. I think repentance is a work. I hope to be able to explain to you how that works into grace, though. I, don't think that, I think the danger of it is, is to say that repentance is not a work. And you make it into something that people are not called to do. And you make it into something that people are not... It's, it's almost like it almost like becomes some kind of uh, uh, a theory or spiritual things that, that people are not really pressing to do. We're, we're I mean, pressed to repent of our sins. That's something we're to be doing daily. But yet, because it's a work, people, people um, they get frustrated about it because they don't want to connect any works with, with grace I hope to answer that question for you this morning about repentance as well. Another argument would be it's too confusing. Repentance is too confusing trying to keep, again, the works separate from the grace, and therefore we, we, shouldn't, um, we shouldn't deal with it, we shouldn't wrestle with it. While many of us fall into one of these camps, um, many of us would, would define repentance in one of these ways. We would say, uh, yeah, I would fall into that camp of seeing it's not important or unnecessary or I see it as a work and I can't seem to connect it with, with grace. And so, you know, let's just, do, let's just do away with it all together. And then some people just see it as confusing and they don't want to deal with it because of how confusing it is. So while, while most of us fall into one of these camps, what we all can agree on this morning is that what the Bible says about repentance is what matters, Right? It doesn't really matter that we fall into any of these camps. We all have our own opinion of a lot of different things. But when we press the scriptures on an issue or we press the scriptures on a word, um, we, are, we are required then to agree. 
on the meaning of that word. It's like the scriptures can bring unity as long as we all submit to them. As long as everybody involved submits to the scriptures, there's agreement. But it's when we get off track in submitting to scriptures, or maybe we don't understand scriptures, we lose sight of um, the meaning, and therefore we don't have the unity. Four words I'm going to look at this morning if you're taking notes. And I would say this to you, if you're a note taker this morning, um, just write, because uh, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, and I'm going to read things that I've typed up in my notes. I'm not going to have time to move. I'm not going to have time to move between scriptures because there's so much here. And I want to give you some things to go home and meditate on in relation to this theme of repentance. So four words to write down. Number one is requirement. Number two is regret. Number three is renovation. And number four is rendering. These are the four words. Let me give them to you again. Requirement, regret, renovation, and rendering. Four words that we're going to look at in regards to repentance. And you can notice the alliteration that the Lord was blessed me with so that we can all remember the R's, right? For starters, though, I want to give you the meaning of the word. One of the things that's interesting about repentance is the meaning of the word is not, is not really something that's argued. Most people would agree that the meaning of the word is a change of mind. Something in your mind changes about, about an issue or, or a topic. Matter of fact, the, um, the Greek, there are two Greek words that we'll look at this morning that are the two words that are used in the New Testament to unfold what repentance is. And both of them start off with the Greek root meta, which means after. In other words, after something, something happens. You, you look back on something and you change the way you view it. It's, it's after an event, after an action, something changes in your mind about that. So let me say it this way. A, a gospel that doesn't include a looking back and changing your mind about things in your life is not a biblical gospel. The gospel that says when you get saved, you view your old life entirely different than you do after you're saved. The Apostle Paul calls it in Romans 6, he says, the things that you did that you are now ashamed of. I mean, people, people who, many people call themselves Christians and they look back on their life and they say, I, I, have no, I have no real shame of my life before I was a Christian. There's something wrong with that. There's something missing from that. When we have repentance, it means we look at life differently. We see things differently. We experience things differently. So the meaning of the word is the change of a person's mind about something. And again, the challenge isn't the definition. The challenge really is twofold. The challenge is, number one, is it needed or necessary? And the challenge, number two, is what causes it? Is repentance necessary for salvation and what, causes, what is the cause of repentance that brings about salvation? Or what is the cause of repentance that is salvific? So let's look at these four words. Let's unpack them together. And again, I'm going to give a number of scripture. Just, just take notes. And when you go home, you can um, just verify that all these scriptures are saying exactly what I'm referring to them as saying. So number one, repentance as a requirement. The Bible is fairly clear 
that repentance for salvation is not optional. Okay, the, the theme, all of the New Testament theme is that repentance is required for a person to be saved. I'll give you some scriptural thoughts on this. In Mark 1 and verse number 15, Jesus Christ begins his earthly ministry by preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 13, Jesus Christ speaking here, he gives a he gives an uh, analogy or a story to give the people, the, the uh, Pharisaical people, an ultimatum. He tells them, repent, or, or you will also perish. He says, e- either you repent or you perish. And he's giving them an analogy that is an earthly analogy and, and about an event that had just recently happened so that they could identify with it personally and, and have an intimate understanding of it. But his true instruction is an eternal instruction. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And this is an instruction that's not just meant for them, but it's meant for our, for our day and age today when Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, gives an ultimatum, unless you repent, you will likewise, all likewise perish. He is giving that instruction for every, every man and every woman and every child from, from then until, until forever. This isn't an ultimatum. It doesn't say unless you have faith, you will all all likewise perish. That's later and that's included in that statement. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 5 and verse 32, Jesus came, the Bible says, to call sinners. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners to, what's the next word? came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, or the way I would define that is the self-righteous. Jesus did not call to, to, Jesus did not come to call those who had their act together. Jesus did not, call, did not come to call the rich young ruler who wanted to add Jesus to his program, but had no problem with his program. Jesus came into this world to help people who didn't like their program anymore who saw their program as faulty and failing, and they needed, a, they needed a new program. They needed a new life. They needed something different. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to join your program. Jesus Christ has come into this world to offer you His program. He has come to give you hope for something entirely new and different. And that's so great about grace is when he saves you, he doesn't leave you in your program. He he transforms you into his. This is the promise of Romans 8 that he will will, um, conform us into the image of Christ. That's an extraordinary promise. He's not going to leave us where we are. But I'll tell you something, if you're satisfied with your program and you're satisfied with your system, Jesus Christ did not come for you. He says he came to call sinners. He came to call unrighteous. He came to call those who were filthy. He came to call those who were frail, who recognized that they needed something. And Jesus Christ was the one who walked down the road and saw people on the side of the road who were just totally desperate. And he healed them, not just physically, in many cases physically, but he healed them spiritually. That's who Jesus Christ has come for. 
Listen to me, young people that are sitting here today who are being taught this world's system that says that Jesus Christ is a great thing companion to have in your system. No, he's not a great companion to have in your system. He will, he will condemn and destroy your system. How many of you think Jesus was a great companion for those when he tore the temple down? When he tore the tables down, was he a great companion for them? No, he didn't come to join your program. He came to offer you a new program. A new life. And folks, we wrestle with it. I'm 46 years old, and I'm inundated with this mindset, this philosophy of this world today. How much more are our children going to be inundated with that? It's a scary, it's a scary thing to think about that Jesus Christ did not come to call those who are okay with themselves. But yet we teach our kids every day, be okay with yourself. We need somebody who... T- who recognizes who they are and knows that they need Jesus. They need transformation. They need renewal. Luke 5, Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Matthew 11, I'm going to turn to this one if you want to read it with me because it's just really powerful. Matthew 11, verses 20. says, Then he began to denounce the cities which where most of the mighty works had been done because they did not repent. In other words, Jesus did a lot of mighty works amongst a certain people. The gospel was rich. The gospel was powerful in a certain community, but they refused to turn from their ways. What does Jesus say to those people? He says to them, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if these mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Man, we could read America into that statement. Woe to you, America, if, if, the, if the things that God has done in America had been done in a third world country today, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Imagine all of the blessings that God has poured out on America being poured out in some African tribe that doesn't know, doesn't know very much, doesn't have very much. That's what he's saying here. Woe to you, because I have done so much in your midst, and yet you still refuse to turn from your own wicked ways. He says, but I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you. And you, Capernaum, will be exalted to heaven. You will be brought down to hell For if the mighty works done in you, or to Hades, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. He pronounces woe on those who refuse to repent. Luke 15 and verse 10, he says that there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Mark 6 and verse 12, the disciples teach men everywhere to repent. Acts 2.38, the Bible says, repent for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 17, verse 30, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts 20 and verse 21, the disciples taught repentance everywhere. Revelation 2 and 3, five of the seven churches in the last days, Jesus Christ himself says to them to repent. The interesting thing about this word repentance that's used in many of these passages of Scripture is it's used in the imperative form. What does imperative mean? It's a command. It's not an option. When he says that he preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins, he is preaching a command. Not an option. 
It's not like, hey, repent if you want to. Jesus Christ did not preach that. He preached repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he preached it to everybody that he came across. He gave everybody the opportunity to know the truth. Biblical repentance is demanded. Biblical repentance is not optional. And it is the only means by which a person will experience eternal blessing. Repentance is the only means by which an individual will experience eternal blessing. Repentance as a requirement. Repentance is required. Let's look number two at repentance as a regret. This is where we'll look at the, a Greek word here. There, again, there are two Greek words that are used in the New Testament to give us the um, idea of repentance. And um, this Greek word is metamelomai, which means after meta. And then the latter part of that word means to regret. It means a, a feeling of care. So in other words, after an event happens, you have a feeling of concern for how that event turned out. Okay, something happened in that event. Maybe a friend was hurt or maybe something happened. And you look back and, and you feel sorry about it. You feel bad about it. And so you change your mind about the event based upon the sorrow that you feel inside. It's a change of mind based upon a feeling of regret. Okay, the interesting thing about this word is this word is always in the New Testament in the passive form and the imperfect form. And two things about that. The passive form means that it always has, it always, the, the main emphasis of it is, is what is happening to you. Okay, it's not an active thing that you're doing. It's almost like we all, we all have feelings, right? Anybody else in here have feelings? Right? So something happens to you and you just have a natural response to that. And that's a, it's called a feeling. You're responding to a moment because you feel a certain way about a certain person or about a certain event or about a certain thing. So you feel that and the event causes you to feel it. And then the event, because of your feelings towards that individual or that circumstance, the event causes you to feel a certain way about that. Maybe you feel regret. Maybe you feel concern or, or care. That is what this Greek word means. And it's passive in the sense that it is something that happens to you. And it's imperfect in the sense that it's something that happens over and over and over again. In other words, the perfect tense means it kind of has a final, it's, a, it's an event, it's an action, it's something that is done. The imperfect tense implies it's something that's going to go on over and over and over again. So all, all of that to say this, this, this term for repentance is referring to something that happens to you. It is something that is normal. It is something that is continual. It is something that is natural. It's built within us in our natural makeup of, of, of life. It is not decisive and it is not life-changing. Okay, it is not decisive and it is not life-changing. It is never used in the New Testament in a salvific way. Let me say this to you. Many have confused true repentance with this repentance. Many have taken this repentance to mean this is the salvific or the, the form of repentance that, is, that, that brings about salvation. This is not the form of repentance that brings about salvation. This is a very natural, humanistic style of repentance. Something has happened, and I look at it, and my natural man feels something. 
There's nothing spiritual about it at all. It's completely a feeling. It's completely an emotion. My, my natural man feels something, and then I change my mind about something based upon my natural feelings about that. So it's a natural human feeling to feel sorry for hurting somebody, to feel sorry for bringing pain into someone's life. It's a natural feeling. Judas, is a, Judas Iscariot, the one who denied Jesus, is really, I would say, the best illustration of this type of repentance. The Bible tells us in Matthew 27 and verse 3, And when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. So, in other words, what you see is Judas has this feeling, this emotion. He's just betrayed his friend. He's betrayed his friend for 30 pieces of silver. Now he's seeing what they're doing to his friend. They're they're beating Jesus. They're abusing Jesus. They're mocking Jesus. They're spitting on Jesus. They're doing all of these things to to really, I I would say, in Judas' case, one of his closest friends. So it it wouldn't be unnatural for Judas to say, man, I did the wrong thing. And, and to feel bad about what he has done to his close friend. So Judas, the Bible says, he changes his mind about what he's done. He brings back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. Even to the point, get this, even to the point where Judas is willing to give up the reward. He's willing to give up the reward for what he has done because he feels so bad about what he did to Jesus. Now think about this, Acts 1.25 The Bible says about Judas, Judas goes and you know what he does. He hangs himself. He doesn't ever receive forgiveness. He doesn't ever accept by faith that Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay for his sins. But Judas goes out and hangs himself. And the Bible says in Acts 1.25, the Bible says to take his place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And the reference to his own place is to eternal condemnation. Judas went to hell. And Judas went to hell because he denied Christ, because he refused to acknowledge the sacrifice of Christ, futuristic in that moment, for his sins. He refused to biblically repent and receive forgiveness. This term is used for somebody who feels bad about what they have done. And I'm going to say this to you this morning. Folks, a lot of people who call themselves Christians are building on a form of repentance that's not a biblical, salvific form of repentance. In other words, they hurt somebody's feelings, or they hurt this, or they hurt that, or they maybe even messed up their own life. And Man, I feel bad for messing up my own life. Maybe Jesus will help me. And they're going down a path that's not salvation at all. It is a repentance that's built solely on their own feelings, and a repentance that's built totally on their selfishness. Five times this, for, this, verse, this word is used in the New Testament. In Matthew 21, 29, it's the parable of the son who tells his father, I'm not going to go into the field. But then he feels bad that the field didn't get harvested. Is that a spiritual feeling or is that a natural feeling? He doesn't go and do the work. His brother doesn't go and do the work. The field is left unharvested. The brother looks at it and says... It's not going to get done. He feels bad about it. He goes and he takes care of the field. Matthew 21, 32. The Pharisees are said to not even feel sorry, even though Jesus Christ is saving the drunkards and the prostitutes, even though all of these people are coming together, that the Pharisees' attitude wasn't wasn't not only that they would not repent biblically, but they would not even repent physically. 
And they would, their, their level of repentance was non-existent. Matthew 27, verse 3, Judas, uh, Judas feels sorry. It's another term that's used there. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8, Paul, Paul talks about the letter that he had written to the Corinthian people, and it was really, really harsh. If you ever read 1 Corinthians, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty direct letter to the Corinthian people. And Paul says that he felt bad about it. But then he says, but I didn't really feel bad about it because of what it did for you. That's just natural. He's talking about just natural feelings. These are not salvific feelings. Paul is saying, I felt bad because I wrote you a hard letter, but I didn't feel bad because it brought good blessings to you. He didn't get saved in that moment. That wasn't salvation repentance. It was, it was an emotional feeling towards a moment. The last time it's used is in Hebrews 7 and verse 21. The Bible talks about the Lord choosing Christ to be our Redeemer, and the Lord says that He would not repent of it. The Lord does not feel sorry for making Jesus our only way. Let me give you these thoughts in closing of this, of this, of this point. Repentance as regret or feeling is not salvation. Regret for failing your family, regret for failing your close friends, regret for wrongdoing towards those who God saves, regret for your own sins, even to the point of forfeiting the word, the, the, the reward like Judas did. It's not about regretting. It's not about feeling bad. It's not about feeling sorry. A lot of people sin and they walk away and they feel bad about it. Does that mean they've gotten saved? It doesn't mean they've gotten saved. That's not salvific. It's natural to feel bad about things that we do that are wrong, especially if those things that we do that are wrong are hurting other people. But it doesn't bring about salvation. So to say, because I feel bad about my sins, therefore I'm repentant, that's not biblical. You feel bad about your sins, so you feel bad about your sins. Repentance that is salvific is, 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 is far beyond repentance that is based upon your own emotions or feelings. And that brings us to our third part, repentance as renovation. Now, this is the word metanaeo. And this word begins with meta again, after. So after the event, there's something that takes place in this form of repentance. Naeo means understanding. It means to perceive something or to understand something differently than you had before. It's the t- while the first um, term used in the Bible is, is a change of mind based upon your emotions, this one is a change of mind based upon understanding. It's a change of mind based upon observation and understanding of the truth. The direct contrast to Judas, and I think it's a good contrast for repentance, is Peter. Peter denied the Lord not one time, but Peter denied the Lord three times, didn't he? When Peter was, was addressed with the with the when Peter was addressed with his sins, what did he do? Well, the Bible tells us in Luke 22, verse 61 and 62, that Jesus Christ penetrated the heart of Peter, that his, his eyes caught Peter's eyes. And what did Peter do? Peter wept bitterly, didn't he? Peter was extremely, extremely convinced that what he had done was wrong. 
And it wasn't based upon a feeling. The feelings were there, but it was based upon a reality. It was based upon a truth. And what does Peter do? Peter then falls on his face and he is sorrowful for his sins and then he goes out and he preaches Pentecost. The difference is, is the first one is a feeling or an emotion that changes your mind that doesn't lead to better actions, but it leads to worse actions. True biblical repentance is when we change our minds based upon the information that has been provided for us in God's Word that leads us to producing greater actions, godly actions. Let me read to you some words here to describe Peter. To describe biblical repentance, Ezekiel 18, 30-32 says this. He says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent, there's that word, repent, and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. And then he describes it again. Cast away from you all your transgressions that you have committed, and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. He says, Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So, he says, turn, so turn and live. And you can take the word turn there and you can put right there, repent. So turn. Repentance means to turn. It's the change of mind that brings about a transformation of life. Let me give you a few other verses here to turn to, to understand this. Acts 3.19, Acts 3, the Bible says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 26.20, 20, And they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. When the Pharisees came to, to John to be baptized... He says to them, I will not baptize you because there are no signs of repentance. Well, say, what's a sign of repentance, Pastor John? I mean, maybe they felt bad in their heart and they just didn't show it on the outside. No, a sign of repentance was the transformation that took place. It was that I'm walking, if I say to you, I'm repentant, that means that I'm walking this way and now I'm walking this way. That's what it means. It means to turn around and go the other direction. We understand this. If I'm walking this way, and there's a cliff right there. And I see the cliff right there. It's just like obvious. If I keep walking off that cliff, am I repentant? Is that repentance? Repentance is to see the reality. The truth is like right in front of us. Repentance is, is I'm not going to walk that way anymore. And it's like I could just say, duh. Right? Duh. But you know something? Most of us don't see that that is exactly what it looks like. We think that I can walk this way, see the cliff right there, feel bad that I've done so many bad things, and keep on walking and say we've been repentant. Do you know where those people end up? Falling off the cliff. Do you know how many people end up falling off the cliff feeling bad about walking towards the cliff? You can't just say, I feel bad about walking towards the cliff. You have to repent. You have to turn away and go the other direction. 
Revelation 9, the Bible says in verse 20 and 21, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hand, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, hear, or talk, nor did they repent of their murders or sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that in this context that Jesus is asking them to feel bad about these things? I want you to feel bad about your sexual immorality and your murders and your thefts and your sorceries. Is that what he's looking for? No, he's looking for repentance, biblical repentance. I see the error of my way. I see that this is destructive. I see my depravity. I see God's holiness. I see the end is destruction. And I turn away from that because I have wisdom that is divine and from above. Repentance is renovation. It's, ch it's changing your direction. And it's changing your direction not based upon a feeling. Listen, the reality is this. If you change your direction based upon a feeling, what will you do tomorrow when you don't feel that way anymore? You'll go back the other direction. When you change your direction based upon truth, as long as the truth doesn't change, you've changed your direction. Truth is the foundation of your change of direction. Understanding is the foundation for repentance, not feeling, salvific repentance. I want to make that clear. They're both in there, but salvific repentance is not the emotional version of it. It's the informational, it's the truth version of it. It's what the Word of God renders in our hearts. That's why the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's not an emotion. Salvation is not an emotional response to your problems in your life. Salvation is a response to the truth of God's Word that says you're going in the wrong direction, go in the other direction. And repentance is, is to believe that and obey it. So that's repentance. Let me give you a few other. Um, Re Revelation 16 and 20, they were scorched by the, by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over all of these plagues, and they did not repent and give glory to God. That's Revelation 16, 20. They refused to repent and give glory to God, which is the same so here I am, I'm cursing God, right? I'm, that's what they says. I'm cursing God. I'm going off that cliff, cursing God. And maybe I feel bad about it. That's not going to turn me around. Truth is going to turn me around. Oh my goodness, look at that cliff there. Do I want to walk off that cliff? The truth of God's word is what turns us around. One of the interesting truths we're going through Revelation in three of our community groups in our church here, one of the amazing truths of Revelation is, is that man, while God pours out his judgment, pours out his judgment, and pours out his judgment on people, they refuse to turn around. They refuse to. Repentance is turning. Let me give you a couple of definitions for some, from some scholars. Um, repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin a mourning that we have committed it, and a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. Another definition. 
Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sins to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance also is to be enlarged. This is what repentance is. Repentance that is based upon the word of God, based upon the truths of God's word, and it changes our direction. The last thought this morning is repentance as rendering. Something that is rendered to us is something that is given to us as a gift. You say, Pastor John, I can't repent. I don't have the strength to repent. I, I'm, I'm, I'm bound in my sins. I am bound in this practice that has totally consumed me. It controls me. It is my master. And I have no ability at all within myself to repent. And my answer to you is praise God because repentance is not something that you do in your own strength. It's something that you do in Christ's strength. You see, repentance is something that God gifts to an individual. Matter of fact, the reality of it is, biblically, the desire to repent is something that God gives to an individual. People don't naturally want to turn away from their sins, do they? People don't naturally want to turn away from their sins. They supernaturally want to turn away from their sins. And listen to me, the command to repent is a command to you in your natural strength to repent and do something that you cannot do on your own. You say, Pastor John, that's not fair. It is fair because you will have to depend on the Spirit of God to do it. That is the whole Christian life in a nutshell. It is you can't do what God requires you to do, but He still requires you to do it. He doesn't lessen the command because you can't do it because you love sin more than you love him. But what he will do, because he is a gracious, loving God, what he will do is he will give you the power to do what you cannot do on your own. He's not going to do it for you. He's going to command you to do it. He is going to expect you to do it. He is going to, he is going to reward or condemn you for doing it or not doing it but you can't do it. And this is the gospel. He has to give it to you. God, remember this, God can require actions for a free salvation. Remember the whole thing about, well, you can't, repentance can't be a part of salvation because it's a work. Listen to me. God can require actions for a free salvation as long as he's the one who gifts the action he requires. God can require an action for a free salvation as long as he is the one who gifts what he requires. Augustine said it this way, Grant what thou commandeth, and then command whatever thou wilt. What he understood was, is, God, you can require whatever you want, but I can't do it. So you must grant me what you require of me. And you know what that means? That means within that requirement, within that expectation, is grace. It's still all grace. It's still all God. 2 Timothy 2.25 says it this way, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting their opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps 
grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Faith, repentance, and righteousness are all similar. They are all gifted. You cannot work for, but you can ask for all of them. Remember that. Faith, repentance, and righteousness are all similar. They're all required by God for salvation. You cannot be saved without faith. You cannot be saved without righteousness. You cannot be saved without repentance. God requires all three of those for salvation, but all three of them are a gift that you receive when you have Jesus Christ living in your heart. Faith, repentance, and righteousness are all similar. They are all gifted. You cannot work, but you can ask for all of them. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. And they all, and they all, always produce fruit. They all always produce fruit. Gifted faith produces active faith. Gifted righteousness produces active righteousness. Gifted repentance produces active repentance. It's no different than the rain that falls on the earth. James 5 and verse 7, I'm not going to read it to you, but read it on your own. When the rain falls on the earth, the earth receives it passively. The earth receives it passively, but the earth produces fruit because of it. When God rains his grace down upon you to gift you his righteousness, repentance, and faith, you will receive it because it's a gift passively, but you will actively produce fruit from it. That is the sign of true repentance. In closing, we want to make that distinction. We want, us to, we want to know the difference between saving repentance and, and a feeling of repentance. We want to make that distinction for our own selves and for those whom we witness to. And we want to know at the end of the day that our God is powerful. We're going to talk about the resurrection next week. Our God is powerful. Many of us would say this morning, if we were to, have a, if we were to take a poll of this audience and say, can God do whatever he wants? I would believe that 99.9% .9 of us would raise our hand and say, God can do whatever he wants. Listen to me. God does whatever he wants for his repentant people. He does. There is extraordinary blessing for being a repentant person. For one who has turned from their own wicked ways and turned to follow Christ. And I want to close with this reading from 2 Chronicles. You're familiar with it. You don't even need to turn there because when I start reading it, you're going to be like, oh, duh, I knew that verse. So here's the, oh, duh, I knew that verse for you. He says in verse 13, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, so you have famine, you have disease, you have a lack of crop, and you, you have these things being mentioned here. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a season in which God's judgment is being poured out on a people, right? Here's what he says. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You see, the problem is, is we want the solution. 
without having the solution. The solution is repentance. It is falling on your knees before God, recognizing recognizing that you're going in the wrong direction and the end is destruction and it's turning around. The Bible says this, then God will hear. Then he says, then I will hear. Uh, when we read it to you, it says, um, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. And I will tell you this this morning, folks, our land needs a healing. Would you say amen to that? Our land needs a healing. My, my challenge to you is this. Think about what we think the solution is. Think about what we think the solution is. Because God has given us the solution. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to understand it, Lord, and maybe to just reevaluate some terms that are in it to get a deeper grasp of what you're calling us to. It would be a shame, Lord, for someone to stand before you on Judgment Day and say, Lord, I felt sorry for my sins, and I just thought that was repentance, and um, never deal with their sins personally. Please help us to grasp what we've learned and to apply it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.